Welcome to Tough on Art, the podcast for artists interested in ways to get ahead in today's art market. I'm Jen Tuff, owner of Jen Tuff Gallery and the Artist Alliance community. Join me for some down-to-earth talk about the best ways for artists to navigate this new and different landscape. Hi, everybody. I'm Jen Tuff, and today I'm super excited to be speaking with Bay Area artist Carl X. Hauser. Carl creates narrative drawings and sculptures that are quirky, playful, and always a little bit dark. The characters he creates spring from his imagination and seem to be up to childlike antics, but always with a slightly sinister edge. With titles that allude to these adventures, such as Head on Wheels, Rice Cake Version, Describing a Beast with Three Heads, Waiting for Your Turn in the Hole, (laughs) that one cracks me up, and Carsick, his creations spark curiosity and joy to all who look at it. He usually works in materials such as cast metals, kiln-formed glass, wire, and nails, and he keeps them in a really raw, unpolished state. The materials tamper any overly playful sense of innocence or purity, and this contrast really creates a yummy combination of slightly sinister and sweet and encourages everyone to ponder and look just a little bit longer. So let's begin, and thank you for joining me. So hi, everybody. This is Jen Tuff. I hope everyone's doing well. And today I'm really excited because I have Carl X. Hauser with me. Carl is on my roster, and currently right now you are where, Carl? San Mateo, California. Nice. And is your studio at home? Yes, for now it is, and probably for the foreseeable future it probably will be. Yeah, how's some working? stroke of thing. I mean, real estate in California is just ridiculous. I I yeah. was evicted. I had two studios this year, and I was evicted from both of them. Oh, so God. it was kind of like I I took that to be a very serious indication that I have no business at this point trying to be rent some other studio someplace else so i'm just i'm confining myself to the garage and backyard for the most part and it's kind of you know but i mean i don't know um it's interesting in the sense that on the one hand it's really constrictive and limiting but but the the flip side of that is that i think for my speaking for myself a lot of my art artwork this the some of the better things that i've done i think have come out of being so restricted and limited as to what i can do it's never been a deterrent for me you know yeah you know i've always you know when i got out of art school i what even when i was in art school i knew i had a very tough row to hoe ahead of me you know that it was going to be really difficult to be an artist because I knew I wasn't going to make any money at it, but I still, that was the thing I was called to do. So, you know, I took jobs mostly doing trades, working in the trades, doing construction, because it was working with my hands. It was building things, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, as Terry Allen said, it, it, it ain't art, but it ain't bad. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's, that's, you know, and I just kind of thought, well, you know, I just keep plugging away. I make art when I can. And, you know, no good. The, the other out, upside of that was that I had money so I could make art. You know, I, was, I had a steady income, was able to, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a good way to, 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 for me to continue making art. So. Yeah. And that's always the hardest thing, isn't it? I mean, you get yeah. out of school and you, you know, you 
have to find a way of making money that isn't going to totally destroy your creativity or burn you out creatively. You know, so it sounds like you found a good solution because that's, I think that's the first problem that artists run into, right? When you get out of school, you're like the big crushing issue of making money. And can I still keep making my art? Yeah, I remember I had a conversation with a good friend of mine and she's, we talked about this a bit when she was first out of school, she had a job working at a photo editing lab or some kind of photo lab where she was basically looking at images all day. And she said, I got to a point where I had to quit because I couldn't, I couldn't look at images all day and then come home and work on my art. Yeah. It was just too much. It was just too, and that's always the way I felt in some ways. That's the way I felt about working in the trades. You know, it was an art but it was an activity that I could do and it didn't seem to interfere with my art at all. You know, it was in some ways it kind of augmented it a bit, you know, it was like, you know, that, that, because when you're working in the trades, there's always this strict adherence to craft. Right. And, and for me, when I, when I would come home and and work on some sculpture thing, it was always like, Ooh, how crude can I make this? (laughs) <laughs> how can I, how, you know, it was like, that was a real important drive for me. So it was kind of, it was also kind of a reaction against my, my, my regular job, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I got to, but, but, but the regular job, the working in the trade also really complemented the stuff that I was doing because not only did I want to make it crude, but it also had to be well-crafted crudeness. Right. Just sense. the right amount. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, a balance. So, so you know, it, it, it still kind of impresses me to some degree. Every once in a while, somebody somebody will comment on how well crafted my work looks, and I always think, "Wow, really?" <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is well crafted, and I and I totally know what you mean. You have like a raw. There's a rawness to your work, you know, uh-huh. and and you can see the you can see the intention, but without it being sort of overworked and and you know slick you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much, I think that's pretty much what I'm trying to aim for most of the time when I'm, when I'm working on a piece is, is, you know, and there's other factors that factor into it. It's kind of like, I think somebody, I was on the, on the artist Alliance group. I can't remember exactly what they said, but they said something about how, and I kept, I, and I should, I think what I wanted to reply to them was that it, it's not about, you know, they were asking if my work really was like self-portraits, you know, and, <laughs> and, and it's kind of, well, I don't think of them self-portraits so much, but they do express things that I feel. Yeah. Like so there's, there's, there's a lot of self-expression in that work. I think not, uh-huh. not so much about, it's not a self-portrait per se, but you know, it's expressing something that I'm feeling, I guess. Right. So tell me about early days of Carl X. Well, I, I grew up on a farm, very small farm in Northwestern Indiana. And my, my great grandfather was the one who actually worked the farm with, uh, and he would draft me and my, my two siblings to help. So I got my, I got my start with, with a hoe at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I, I always thought, oh, this is so, I, I was driving a tractor when I was six. 
So I thought, well, this is really cool. I, and then when I, when, I, when I got to school, I was thinking, oh, this is really cool. I can drive a tractor. And turns out, well, I'm going to a school in the country and just about every kid can drive a tractor now. So right. yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. So you <laughs> were I, I kind of grew up, my mother was a self-taught artist. Uh-huh. Um, she didn't really like the idea of me wanting to paint, even though that's what she did. And I wanted to do that too, but she got, she would always encourage me to draw. I was pretty good. I was pretty facile with a pencil and uh, she got me lots of books. I'm basically, was kind of a large, she would, uh, you know, I'd want to know how to, how to, how to make things look more realistic than I was able to. And she would, she'd go, when she would go to buy art supplies, she'd get me a book on like how to draw perspective. Yeah, so so there was a lot of that kind of activity. You know, I had a lot of that kind of exposure to, and they were really simple, uh, pretty, uh, pretty simple books in a lot of ways. But you know, it was like, well, yeah, I can do this, and it was, you know, so there was a long struggle in art school, especially not in art school, but I mean, you know, growing up in school to want to do things, draw things that looked realistic. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, everybody goes through that, I think, regardless yeah. of, you know, what you end up finally doing. I think we all end up, you know, at some point we realize, oh, I don't have to draw everything realistically. You mm-hmm. know, it can be more expressive. It can be more this. It can be abstract. It can be, you know, you know, and it took a long time for me to, I think when it really changed was when I got into high school, I had a pretty good art school or art teacher there I got I just decided I needed to know more about art in general so I would go to the library and check out books on art and art history and kind of did a lot of self-studying that way it's how I first found out about Mark Rothko when I was in high school and I've always been a big fan of his work you know it's just really Mm -hmm. his paintings are amazing Mm -hmm. you know especially and I I think the first time I ever saw uh, Rothko was at the was the art Insti- was at the art institute of chicago there was a, uh, one of his paintings there and i was completely stunned by it i was really unprepared for how it would look in person and that was that was very significant to me to know mm-hmm. that you know seeing a reproduction and seeing the actual artwork were completely different experiences and that really made a huge impact on me in that in that regard so mm-hmm. and i can remember uh, later, actually, when I, I had the opportunity to to go to the uh, National Gallery in D.C., and I, 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 the first thing I went to look for were the Vermeers, <laughs> and uh-huh. it was the same same experience there. I mean, I loved looking at the Vermeers and reproductions, but seeing the girl in the red hat with your own eyes is incredible. Yeah, it's just. You know, it's just, it, it, you know, reproductions just don't do it, you know, and plus it's right there in front of you and it's like, oh. <laughs> so was this in high school when you got to do these trips and you checked out these, you know, the, 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 the when I saw when I was in DC, it was when I was in, when I was in art school, mm-hmm. the high school, high school was mostly, you know, trying to go to museums. I think I went to a few art galleries. I remember my high school art teacher encouraging me to go see a, uh, I think it was a uh, it was a group show in a, one of the suburban galleries, and I was like, "Oh, this is really." I was, you know, and it was kind of more. That was in some ways a little bit more interesting to me because it was people. They weren't like big famous artists, like right. you know, they weren't museum people. 
You know, right. they, they were just people who were like who I am now, struggling to get their work out there in front of eyeballs. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's. I think that was that made an impression on me as well. You know, the fact that there was, and it was, it was obviously way more contemporary than a lot of the stuff you would see in a museum, but you know, as well. So, right. Yeah. And those were the days too, when I remember when my parents, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and there was an art gallery, not far from our house. And they, you know, when they bought their house, when I was like two or something, they went to the art gallery to buy art. You know, it's like such a, yeah, it's such a different thing than now. So anyway, I can see why that would have an effect on you going to that uh, gallery, local gallery. So, so then you went to art school, where did you go for your undergrad? Well, at first I didn't, I, I, at first my father said, you're not, you, you know, he wanted me to go to school to be an engineer. Oh. Yeah. So he said, no, nah, I'm not, if you're going to go to art school, I'm not going to pay for that. Oh God. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I spent a year working uh, and trying to save up money. And I think at that point, but my father, my father was so desperate because I was, I'm the first born. So he was really desperate for some, for, for someone, one of his children to go to go to school and get a college degree. And he, he was so distraught that especially me, the firstborn, I was just going to, you know, that my plan was, uh, I'm just going to work and I'll make art. And I did that for like a year. And I realized that the art I was making wasn't, I wasn't at all happy with, I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to know more. And I had saved up enough money. My father by that point was desperate. And he said, here's what I'll do. I'll pay for your first, first semester of art school. And I was like, great. And so I did that. And once I got there, I realized, oh, there's, there's money I can get so I can continue. And this was in the seventies. And I was going to, I went to the, I ended up at the Heron School of Art in Indianapolis, which is part of the Indianapolis, Purdue, no, Indiana, Purdue University at Indianapolis. It's a, it was a private art school that got, in the, I think in the late 60s, um, was bought up by Indiana and Purdue Universities. And uh, they, they have a big, it's basically a big commuter school there in Indianapolis. And, you know, they have other schools there and you know, the Heron School of Art is one of those. And so I ended up there and the tuition was incredibly cheap. It was, yeah. I think, six, $600 a semester. Oh my God, really? Was that for like in-state students? Did they have that no, kind of in-state deal? in-state was half that. Oh, okay. And it was, and, and, you know, that was something I had considered. That when I went to high school, I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I looked at art schools in in Pennsylvania, and even with me, and I only paid out of state tuition, I think, for one semester because I had been working in Indiana and living there independently, mm-hmm. and so I was able to, after a semester, get it cut, get my tuition cut in half. And then I was getting, uh, at that time, I think they were called basic educational opportunity grants. Right. And, and I don't think it was like a thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So I that's... had. I could pay for a year's tuition and had money left over. So, right. So, you know, and I, and at a certain point, um, when I was in art school, I, 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 I fell in with a guy who was opening up a neon shop 
and he decided to take me on as an apprentice for whatever reason. <laughs> Not sure how I managed that one, but you know, I kind of looked at it and thought, well, this is kind of an opportunity for me to be able to, you know, do stuff with my hands and make money. So, you know, I did, I made neon signs and, you know, that, that was great. Cause that guy got me into, you know, for better or for worse, got me into the sign trade and, you know, I did that for like almost 20 years, I think, you know, paid for art school, paid for yeah. graduate school, paid a lot of stuff. So, you know, yeah. it was, uh, and as well as it did afford me some opportunities to make some art with it. So uh, the problem I always had with it was I, people would always want to call me a neon artist. And I yeah, always bristled kind of at a, that. I always yeah. really bristled at that. No, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm not a... You know, I'm using neon because I have access to it, and that's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And 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 you know, truth be told, when you know in the early '90s, I had a studio in San Francisco. Whenever I would do open studios, people would come in. They'd look at the they'd look at the neon stuff. They'd look at my drawings, and inevitably, somebody would turn to me and say, "So you must share the studio with somebody. So which do you do? Do you do this, the neon or the drawings?" Oh, yeah. Because the drawings were so much more expressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it was, you know, it was more spontaneous. In fact, I always think of drawing as this, in a lot of ways, even though I do finished, you know, it's it's always a finished piece, the drawing itself. I always think of them as, as these intermediate steps when I get, when I'm working on sculpture, it's like, it's kind of maddening in some ways, because there's sometimes you just can't go any further with it. You have to wait for things. Mm-hmm. And so it would make me kind of crazy. And I, okay, I'm going to just draw. <laughs> so, you know, it was, but it got to a point for me with the, the neon, I realized at a certain point that I had to quit doing neon just as art because it was, it wasn't really expressive enough for me. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, for me, it was much too craft oriented. And it was what I was always struggling to get away from was mm -hmm. that, that sort of slick, craftness of 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 how some things can be and and, and uh, for me it really inhibited the expressiveness of my work so you know as as time went by i became less and less drawn to uh to to wanting to work with neon and you know it was it got to a point where it was like okay i have to figure out how i'm going to put the wires in this how neon's going to mount to it and all this stuff and i just kind of thought why why am I struggling so hard with this? Yeah. It shouldn't well, be this hard. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how that would be really hard to express yourself because the, the tools seem so limited. You know what I mean? Like what you can do. Yeah. But there's, but like I say too, there's this, you know, the limitations also, you know, gives you something to push up against. And, yeah. and I kind of felt like in a certain sense that I had kind of pushed as hard as I can and went as far as I could with it you know and also like I said people kept calling me a neon artist and it was making me crazy so <laughs> yeah yeah I can totally see that I so, can totally you know and it's kind of like and I I kind of did I kind of I liked glass as a material it was mm -hmm. and I loved working with it the sign trades are really I think are a difficult trade to be in mm -hmm. uh, that was certainly for me at least I mean I know a lot of trades people I know a lot of people a lot of other neon artists and they're doing fantastic you know yeah. and i applaud them and try to support them when i can because 
I think it's a, it's it's an interesting medium. It just didn't seem like it was for me. So, I mean, I did what I did, and I felt like a lot of the stuff I did was really pretty good. So, but that's I I, have, I needed to move on from that. So yeah. So after you got your BFA, you went to. Did you take some time off before you got your master's or did you? No, I just pretty much went straight ahead and got my MFA because I just kind of figured, well, though, and also the other thing that was re- that's interesting about my, uh, and this, I think this kind of has played out throughout my whole career as an artist is that I've always lo- liked playing around with different media. So when I was also, when I was in undergraduate school, I was exposed to a lot of stuff. I was, I, I fronted a punk rock band. I was the guy who was screaming, I remember this story. The, you know, doing, you know, you know, jumping around, acting weird, yeah. writing lyrics for these songs and stuff like that. And it was, it was, you know, so there's, there's always been a kind of a performer part of me. I think there's always been a performer who lived in me and sometimes he, he creeps out. So I'm always tempted in situations like this to, Oh, I should turn this into a performance piece. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I, I I wisely refrained from that. But anyway, so I and also I got I got exposed to video art in undergraduate school as well. We had you know half inch studio equipment, so we didn't have any porta packs. We couldn't, I, which is the thing I always wanted to do is like walk around and record things, and we didn't have that ability. But you know, but it was again, it was those limitations you pushed up against, and it's like something sometimes comes out that's really good. And yeah. if that limitation hadn't been there, yeah, it wouldn't have happened, you know. Yeah, so you, yeah, you so there was that. And and so when I was applying for graduate schools, you know, I, one of the schools I applied to is the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and I was interested in their video program that they had there at that time. It was pretty interesting in, in the uh, mid to late 70s. And um, they were doing, people were doing lots of stuff with a Dan Sandine image processor, which was you could take a black and white video image and colorize it. It was never really very realistic, but you could do other things. So you could, mm-hmm. you could do compositing or what we would call matting now. Right. Or then we called it matting, but now it's everybody thinks of it in terms of compositing. And then you could do stuff like that. And it was always kind of so that, and that also involved some performance as well. So it was kind of like I, that's what I ended up doing was switching from being a sculptor primarily to going in and getting an MFA and video and performance art. So, you know, and the whole thing going to graduate school was I kind of saw it as an opportunity to be, to get qualified to become a teacher and be able to teach, you know, university or college. Mm-hmm. And, once I got there and had to do a little bit of it, I realized I was not going to be a very good art teacher. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, I didn't particularly like having to do it. And it was kind of also, there was nobody there to give you instruction on how to be a teacher. You right. Know? Well, is that, I mean, it, that sort of seems universal for art school, right? Like, <laughs> there's not much about teaching. And, yeah. and, the, and right. So, no. And then, you so know, you it's like, it. I... I, yeah, and the way I looked at it was I had, uh, you know, my sculpture teacher, uh, got, you know, may he rest in peace. He was, he was at Heron. He was, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And, and, you know, and I think everybody has at least 
at least one teacher that made a huge difference on them, regardless of wherever they are, whatever they're doing in life. There's yeah. always at least one teacher that was that was in, 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 you know instrumental in getting them motivated to do things. And Gary Freeman was one of those guys. He was he was an amazing. I remember at uh, one point I wasn't doing you know he he was basically a foundry guy, which is where I got started with metal casting, and you know and he. Uh, I just, but I was doing a bunch of work at a particular time where I didn't have, wasn't hardly ever going into this foundry to, to work on things. I was doing stuff in my apartment and, and stuff. And he said, well, I need to see your work. And he came over to the apartment to look at it. And I probably, you know, being the nervous student that I was, I just probably just talked incessantly. Gary's kind of always very quiet in a lot of ways. And finally, at one point, he said, well, you know, I'm not really sure what to tell you about what you're doing here. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're really serious about it. And I think you should keep doing it. It was, you know, it was like the thing that the best thing that anybody could ever say to anyone in a critique. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's not wrong what you're doing. I don't understand it. But you seem to you seem to have you seem to have it. Whatever it is, you seem to have it. And, and you should continue continue doing it and i've and you know it was it was that and also my friend sam who, who encouraged me to paint my sculpture those two guys were like stellar in a lot of ways and i was like how can i how can i even be half as good as those people that was those were my my models and i knew that i couldn't be nearly as good as either of those two people so i decided it was probably wise for me to not be a teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so you know because we have we've all had really bad teachers <laughs> yes mm -hmm. and I didn't want to be I didn't want to join those people in at all so I just kind of thought you know but and looking back on it I mean that was my primary motivation for going to art school but looking back on it now if I had to do it over knowing what I know now I would still go to art school I would still do the video and performance stuff, even though I don't do, I mean, I shoot video now and I kind of play with it, play around with the idea of like, ah, maybe I could turn this into some video art. Just, it just, it's, it, it's one of these things where I really have to change focus to do that. And I'm, I feel right now my focus is mostly toward the artwork that I'm currently working. Uh -huh. I want to continue that with the sculpture and, uh, and for me, that's, that's, I really, I'm really enjoying where I am right now. It's been a long time. I've been making art for, you know, since I got, you know, I kind of considered my, uh, what is it? My, when I really, when I finished, I got my MFA in 1981. So I've been, I figure I've been practicing as a professional artist for like 40 years now so yeah you know what you're and doing that, and and what's interesting to me is that I feel like now I'm at a point where it's not that it's effortless but I certainly don't require any kind of inspiration I mm. just it's it's I've been doing it for such a long time it just seems to be a natural act in a way and right for me that's that's exciting enough you know that I can I knowing that I can just go out in the garage and pick up a piece of styrofoam and start carving on it and go, Oh yeah, this looks like something or, 
maybe I carve on it and I throw it in a box with the other stuff that I don't know what I want to do with, but it's, it's there, you know, it's kind of how my process works these days is that I, I just work on things. And, and at a certain point I'll look, I'll, t- I'll pick up a couple of different things and I'll look at them and I'll go, Oh, these need to go together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, and most of the materials I'm working with these days anyway, are really mostly free, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I pay for, I pay for epoxy. I use a lot of epoxy resin and I pay for that. And epoxy is not cheap, but that's, that's the, and it, you know, a gallon of epoxy resin will last a long time for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, but the stuff that I really use is wire, cardboard, styrofoam, all of this stuff is pretty much free. So what is the, what's the attraction to those types of materials besides the free aspect? Do you, do you know? Much that's it, it? Just the <laughs> no. sort of like this, the, they're, cause they're kind of like humble and, you know, not complex. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're things that people cast away, you know, and you're yeah. making something really valuable out of them. Yeah. There is that one of the things that was, this goes back to when I was undergraduate school, we did what was called direct burnout, styrofoam. So we would get styrofoam, carve it up, gate it, and then we'd take it and bury it in sand and we'd tamp the sand. It was, you know, sharp sand, so it would lock. You know, we'd tamp it, vibrate the sand, and then we'd heat, heat up a crucible of aluminum, pour it right on top of the styrofoam. Styrofoam just burns out instantly. And um, unbeknownst to us, we didn't, you know, this was in the 70s and this is about the time that, uh, material data safety data stuff became important more important in the art world certainly uh-huh. especially yes. in art school we didn't know how toxic it was to burn styrofoam oh but, yeah and you yeah. know it smelled bad there was huge clouds of black smoke we were in a foundry and we uh, you know regardless of what time of year it was we always had the doors open in the place but yep. you know, and, and smoking turn- cigarettes no doubt oh yes i was <laughs> i smoked cigarettes my my instructor smoked cigarettes. We would, yep. we'd be, you know, on on pours. We'd we'd be, you know, usually the pours took place in the evening. So so we'd all be standing around smoking and drinking beer. You know, yep, yep, <laughs> and, breathing and in all the toxic fumes and breathing. It. And the worst part was wasn't so much. I mean, it was bad when we were doing actual pouring, but the worst part was probably when you were digging it out of this. When you were digging, when it was. Cool, when the sculpture was cool enough, you could take it out of the sand because what would happen is a lot of the really, I think a lot of the really toxic stuff stayed in the sand. And then mm. you didn't really, so, you know, you'd, you'd be digging out your sculpture from the sand. You'd be, you'd get hit in the face with this. I can remember my eyes tearing from oh, it. Geez. it was so, it was so nasty, you know, yeah. it was like, and you couldn't see it. That was the other thing. It wasn't like, you know, when you poured it, there was big gusts of black smoke. And it was like, we knew that was probably not good. <laughs> but uh-huh. it was the invisible stuff that I kind of feel like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, have, I have some health issues these days. And I well, mostly it's my immune system seems to want to kill me most of the time. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder, did that factor into it somehow? You know, just one of these things. It's like... You know, and I grew up, you know, I spent, you know, nearly 40 years working in various trades, you know, most, you know, being a carpenter wasn't too bad. I always, I always loved the smell of, of sawdust. I thought that was mm-hmm. terrific. It wasn't necessarily toxic. I mean, the carp- carpentry I was doing was more 
uh, rough carpenter. You know, I did a lot of framing and and uh, remodeling and stuff. So it wasn't so much that we were. I was dealing with um, you know you know working in a wood shop where you're dealing with you know exotic woods, hardwoods, and stuff, which can be really bad for you. So sawdust from a lot of big hardwoods can be really bad for you. Most of the yeah. stuff I was doing was with redwood. Probably the worst stuff was pressure treated lumber. So, Oosh, you know, yeah, which is you know it's supposed to kill things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, tell me about why did you move to California? Tell me about that journey from the oh, Midwest. Well, I'd been I'd been in Chicago for a while I, after graduate school, and I had had a I was doing actually I was kind of working at a video post production house for a little while. It was a not-for-profit place for independent producers. Uh, I was a, sort of their technical director there, which was that's a funny title for what I did. But anyway, I got got laid off from that job, and I was working. Um, I was doing some uh, AV stuff for SIGGRAPH, um, which is a computer graphics special yeah. interest group. Thing. Yeah. And this would have been in uh, 1985, I think it was. I worked, they contracted me to work for them. I, they we came and they were doing the conference in San Francisco at the Moscone Center. It was my first trip to San Francisco. I had a good friend who was from the art, also from the Art Institute, who was originally, I believe he was originally from San Rafael, had gone to the Art Institute in San Francisco and then did graduate stuff in school, the Art Institute in Chicago. He was interested in moving back. So that was our plan was we were going to, I did the conference came back from from that and I was like I'm ready to move I'm ready to move I, I'm done with Chicago so I yeah. live next to an L <laughs> right and it's it cold just, it's very cold there well <laughs> I hate no that was okay in some ways mm-hmm. I hated summers there it yeah, was just yeah horrible summers were horrible there mm-hmm. so uh, I just decided you know a month later I packed up and I was out here in San Francisco so and uh, things changed quite a bit. I was uh, my wife, my current my wife, who I knew who had started dating before I moved to San Francisco, had moved to uh, Portland, Oregon at the same time. So we tried having a long distance relationship for a couple of years. She ended up with a, getting a job in Santa Barbara, and I had gone to visit her, and she insisted that we three were going to continue seeing each other, that we had to be married. So I kind of, I went along with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've been married and we actually, it was yesterday was our 35th wedding anniversary. Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah. That's great. So it's been, it's, it's been, it's been a terrific ride. There are parts of it that are, I mean, it's like everybody's marriage, you know, it's, I'm sure there's really mostly, I think for me, it's been really terrific. I've loved my wife terribly. And so it's been really great. She's been very supportive of my artwork. Mm-hmm. The thing I love most about that, her aspect of supporting my artwork, is that she doesn't tell me what kind of art I should make. But mm-hmm. rather what she does is she gives me ideas about how to come up with ideas to make oh. art. Uh-huh. So it's, a, it's a much more meta, meta thing, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, right. I don't need to give you ideas, but I'll give you ideas about how to have ideas, which right. is, I think, way more important and or strategic. So. Yeah. And, you know, initially I'm like everybody else. No, no, I can't do that. I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. And then realize, <laughs> oh my God, she's right. I should try this. <laughs> yeah. Is she a creative person too? 
Or yeah, she, she, yeah, she got her mm-hmm. MFA at the School of the Art Institute as well, oh, which okay. is how I, I met her. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, at the time, when, the very first time that I met her, she in a relationship with one of my professors there at the school. Oh, ooh, uh-oh. Well. The, <laughs> it was the 80s, right? Or 70s. Well, but also, yeah. But also <laughs> by the time by the time we connected up, they had they, their relationship had ended. So uh-huh. it wasn't wasn't any big wasn't any big thing about nobody 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 had a big fallout over any of this stuff people right. were surprised jane's uh, 11 years older than me and i think that's that's probably was the thing that surprised people more than anything else is our age difference but right you know, 35 years later we're still here so it's working <laughs> yeah so, yeah we said and you know it's 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 great so so I couldn't, have, now, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in this mess. Yeah, <laughs> the mess. What what has how has COVID been for you? Like the whole thing, the last couple of years. How's that? It's I been mean, good and bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good in the sense that I'm I'm a shut in anyway. So it's kind <laughs> of like uh, it's like oh, you mean I don't have to go out and see people? Yeah, not a problem. That's great. That's funny. <laughs> but then yeah. also too, I do. But I do have to say, you know, I, I I miss going to art openings. I miss, you know, I miss that part of it quite a bit. But the other thing, part the other thing that's good about that as well is, that, you know, now that there are some openings and stuff like that, and people are starting to come out more. You know, it seems like most of the people that I know who are in the art world you know, are, they're all like behind it. I don't think I'm. I don't think I know anybody who's really vehemently against vaccinations. Yeah. You yeah, know, I don't either. And, or if if they are, they keep it to themselves and they mask. You know. Yeah. And for me, because I have some health issues, you know, especially regarding my uh, uh, <clears throat> immune system, it's really important to me that that you know I haven't had a cold in two years. Not yeah, me either. And colds, colds can be just the worst thing for me. It's not yeah. just, I, it's, it's, it's really, it can be really, really rough. When I, in the past, when I would start to feel a cold coming on, I would just stop whatever I'm doing, go home, get into bed and, st- and then, you know, and I would get sick, but hopefully usually it didn't seem to be as bad as if I decided, oh, I'm not really getting sick and I'm just going to power through this. Right. You know, that was always a real mistake to make for me. So, but, yeah. you know, given the fact that, you know, when the whole COVID thing started out, I remember reading um, an article written by a woman who had, had a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. And she was like saying, you have, when you get a bone marrow transplant, you end up with no immune system, none oh, whatsoever. And so yeah. she she talked about the whole the whole hand washing routine, which I took very seriously. Mm. She said, "If I couldn't remember when I washed my hands last, I would wash my hands. <laughs> if I wanted to scratch my face, I would go wash my hands first. She said, right. "When you have no immune system, you get sick from things that nobody's heard of. Right? Nobody's, you know. So it's kind of I I took that part that aspect of it. I, I've taken very seriously. So you know, I, I'm very I wash my hands almost way too much, probably. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think you can. So, yeah. <laughs> so, probably having the studio in the garage at home has probably been, you know, probably a good thing. Yeah. During yeah, COVID, because you've got everything at home and 
for the most part, I have everything at home. I have two storage spaces, one which pretty much contains my whole sculpture studio, and as well as uh, a lot of old, older, large artworks that are just being stored and it's in a shipping container in San Francisco where I used to have a studio and I'm still renting from the same guy who rented me my studio, which is now I'm in a shipping container in his yard, a lot cheaper, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I can't work there. The, and then I also have another storage space. It's a little bit closer to home that I pretty much, uh, it's pretty much storage for my artwork at this point. In fact, I think I'm going to be moving my flat file out of my garage because it takes up way too much space. <laughs> yeah, those things are huge. Yeah, and, and I heavy. think I can move that into the storage space with all my other sculpture and stuff. And I'll know where all my drawings are, stuff like that anyway. So, And then I'll, that'll give me a lot more, well, for me, a lot more workspace in the garage. <laughs> yeah. So in, in closing up, in, in closing, what, what are your goals still what do you what are you like focusing on right now where where do you want to go still with your work with the career what do you what are you thinking uh, that's a really good question i don't really <laughs> tend to i mean i've never i've never really thought of myself as having i mean i do have an art career but i don't think about it that way as you know for me, is it's art is having it's something that I kind of I have to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it it exercises a lot of demons from my psyche, which is I find to be of great relief. And so I just kind of, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've got a solo show coming up sometime this year. I mean, probably late summer, early fall. I've got a solo show. Transmission or is it transmission gallery? Yes. I think the Pence gallery is doing its annual emerging artist thing. And I'll try to apply for that. I I do like applying for shows and trying to get into them. Um, Not really sure how things are going to play out. I mean, um, just, you know, I just kind of figure, well, you know, What's worked? I always think of you know. I've always been. I think I've been a lucky person in, in in terms of art career stuff, and I'm kind of thinking that's going to continue going forward. And what I mean by lucky is I, I can't remember. I don't know if it was Seneca who might have said this, but you know, luck is just nothing more than being prepared and and, and opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like. And I remember somebody asked me once how I got how I was able to get representation at Transmission Gallery, and I basically said it was basically just luck really it was i happened to meet brian cameron the the one of the co-owners of the gallery he looked at my work he liked it he didn't really say much about it at all and then i kind of went to the gallery a few times and met the manager there and they said oh yeah brian or cameron talked to us about about your work and we, we, we we really like your work we'd like to see more of it and so you know i talked to them some more and then then they said, we'd like to offer you a solo show and, and representation. And I was like, great. But this guy was, when he was asking me about it, and I said, you know, basically that's what happened. But part of it was, too, I was really prepared for that opportunity. I, mm-hmm. had, a, I had a large body of work, which right. was exactly, in, 
you know, whether, I don't know how much of it was really good, how much it was mediocre and how much of it was bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't make those judgments because every time I think something's really good, those are the things that people seem to gloss over. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I find that with a lot of artists. And so I just kind of go, well, you know, it is what it is. It's like people are going to make their own decisions about it. So basically, but that was the opportunity. That was the opportunity, but I was really well prepared for it. I was really well prepared. I had a lot large body of work. In fact, uh, Ruth Santi, the other owner of the gallery, first thing that she said to me, she asked me was, are you prolific? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going, what? (laughs) I don't don't know. I don't know how to answer that question because, you know, that that requires me to compare myself to others. And the minute I start to do that, everything just turns to shit, you know, just... (laughs) Just goes to shit. Because I have this one friend, I don't know how she can be as prolific as she is. She's just, I, I'm in awe of her, you know? And I, there's another sculptor I know who's the same way. And I'm like, how do these, I mean, I know I have a lot of free time. I, I was forced into retirement early because I had a really bad shoulder and I had to have it replaced. And once my shoulder was replaced, I wasn't able to do construction work. That was it. So I went on to just—I dis- was on disability for a number of years. And now, now I'm just retired. So because I'm old enough to be retired now. So, but um, but you know, all of a sudden it was this opportunity. It's like, wow, I can make art full time now. This is this yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So you know, and I still can't keep up with these people. You know. Yeah. And and it's amazing to me. I mean, I've. So when Ruth asked me that question, I was kind of taken aback a bit because I'm thinking, I don't know how to answer that question. You know, I really don't. All I know is a, I, I just just it's probably this Midwestern work ethic thing, I think. You know, you just put your head down and do the work. You don't think about it. You just do the work. <laughs> yeah, very, very. Yes. It, it, and it's true. There's that ethic in the Midwest for sure. Definitely. I mean, I, I can say that from being raised in the Midwest. Everyone's just no nonsense, you know, no nonsense, just work. Don't mess around, just do the work. (laughs) And I've always felt a really strong kinship to the Harry Who, you know, from, Mm -hmm. because, you know, they were from, most of those people had been students at School of the Art Institute. So I was like, yeah. And I felt really close and I felt a very close affinity to those artists, you know, and I kind of tried to, you know, even even though I was mostly doing, when I was at the Art Institute and, and in Chicago, I was mostly doing video and performance work. There was still some kind of, for me, I could feel this sort of kinship there because my my performances weren't, weren't particularly serious. A lot my, like my artwork. It's kind of, there's, there, you can look at it, you can see that there's some serious stuff going on in there, but there's also a bit of comic relief, mm-hmm. you know, because if it's too serious, it's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not fun, and it's not fun to make for you probably. it's not fun to make yeah I mean I even though when I'm making a lot of this stuff I, I can feel there's a lot of depression behind it mm-hmm. it's there's this other part of me that has to go I need some relief from this you know so what can I do to kind of in fact that was a criticism I got a, a, more than a few times about some of the video stuff that I did when I was in, in graduate school. So, you know, it's like, well, this is going along to be really sort of serious and dramatic. And then you did this <laughs> and it was not, and it was, it wasn't serious anymore. It's like, can't you ever be serious? 
Oh, wow. It's like, well, not really. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of, but that's, that's just how, I mean, so going forward, that's kind of, I think that's kind of where I'm trying to head is like, how do I keep, how do I keep with the sculpture? I think, how do I keep, um, how do I keep th that, that sort of tension going, you know, between the serious, the serious side of it and the, the, the more goofy side, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I, so that for me, I think that's, that's pretty much, I think how I want to think about things going forward is just trying to figure out more of that, trying to figure out, I mean, I like doing figurative work, trying to figure out different ways of expressing the figure is a real challenge for me that I really kind of like a bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, I, I look at a lot of outsider art. It's where I'm really at right now these days, looking at outsider art, just that kind of stuff is really inspirational to me because it's like these people, maybe, you know, I, I always also try to think of my work a little bit as someone who's, who's, you know, trying to be an outsider, but informed, but, but being informed by my art school training, you know, right. So it's kind of like, you know, I understand how color works. I understand, you know, for me, the most interesting blacks are the ones where you don't use black at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when you're mixing colors, it's like, how can you make black? I mean, I think it might have been Van, Van Gogh who had like a whole huge number of ways of making black without using black, you know, mm -hmm. and, it was, and, and, you know, so the color aspect of it is, is really important and interesting to me. I, I just, I, and, you know, it's, so I don't know, it's, you know, where it's going is, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I mean, I can pretty much say it'd probably still be fairly, fairly figurative. Uh -huh. I, you, you know, as much as I appreciate abstract works, I really like abstract work quite a bit, especially sculpture. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel confident or comfortable enough to do it for myself. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'll stay, you know, I'll stay the course with what I'm, with what I'm good at, I think, which is my weird figure, figurations and semi-realistic, I don't know how to describe it really, even, you know, it's just my stuff is kind of, it's, it's not very realistic, but I like the idea that it looks somewhat haphazard and somewhat poorly formed and, mm -hmm put together strange ways stuff stuff looks like it's going to fall over I, I you know for me that's 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 all that tension in there you know that that tension is what's what for me is what's really interesting you know so uh, so yeah. yeah I guess maybe going forward I'm going to try to press that tension as as hard as I you know push on that as much as I can yeah and that's what draws people to the work too I think I think so too. I mean, it's just, you know, it's kind of one dimensional if there's just, if you only have A, but if you have A and B and they seem to be opposing a bit, it's like way, way more interesting. You know, it's like, why is that there? How is it that thing is standing up when it really shouldn't be? Or, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, your work definitely, I can see that in your work for sure. And and the definitely the inspiration as well from, you know, more outsider artists, because that's where that realness comes in. You know, yeah. that raw realness and and then, but then you have the art school, you know, background informing it, that kind of education that you can examine the A and the B, right? With, right. Yeah. yeah. Without it losing it, you know, appeal. It's 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 realness, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and the color stuff, for me, the thing I'm liking most about the work that I'm doing now, for up until just a few couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of metal casting because I had access to where I could I could do work in a foundry. And when you can do most of the work yourself, you save a huge amount of costs on labor. I just recently finished up on a commission that I wasn't able, basically all I did was make the waxes for it. And I took it to an art local art foundry. They cast it for me. They have a service called Cast and Blast, where they cast the things, they sandblast the parts, give them back to you. And then, you know, the welding and patination are all left up to you. Doing that process pretty well, I think in the future going forward, what I would like to try to do if I'm going to be doing any more casting is to... Uh, be a little bit more strategic about it in some ways by taking by doing small maquettes models having them scanned in three dimension laser scanned have them and then and then what's nice about that is you can scale it makes it really easy to scale up oh cool yeah so so that's kind of my that would be that would i my my next project that i would really like to try to work on i'm not sure how i'll get to it financially is to is to take a small sculpture get it scanned blow it up have it printed take it to a foundry and have it cast so oh, that would be really cool that would be very much fun very expensive for me yeah 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 <laughs> as an undertaking but you know so it's something there that's on the it's always on the back burner because that's going to be an easy thing to, for me to do to come up with you know is to come up with a small small sculpture that'll be that's that's like that's that'll be a walk in the park you know so you know the thing i liked about casting and working in a foundry was i was kind of freed of you know i was allowed to be able to just i i would just i have a huge library of molds so i would cast lots of waxes from those molds and then i would sit around play be like playing with tinker toys in a way you know yeah. i could cut things up wax is wonderful medium to work in uh-huh. I can cut things up, glue them, to, you know, solder them together, do all kinds of strange things. And if I didn't like it, I could just go right back into the wax pot, you know, and melt down and use it over again. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a it's a wonderful process, that part of it. And for, after that point, it gets to be real serious labor. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And it's hard work. There's nothing about wax work is probably the easiest or mold make some some aspects of mold making. and. And the wax work are probably the easiest things in foundry in terms of of having to do physical stuff. You know, when you start making ceramic shells, there's that. Then there's the actual pouring of the metal. There's the divesting of the shells, and oh, it gets yeah. to be heavy and hot. And yeah, I kind of feel like I'm so out of it these days. I've not had to do physical labor now for. I don't know, seven, eight years or something like that. So I feel like I'm really out of it in that regard. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work for sure. So, 
Well, Carl, thank you so much for. Well, thank you. I appreciate this. This is so great to be able to talk to you, and uh, you know, this is a, this is a, it was a great opportunity. So, thank you. I've enjoyed spending the last hour with you. It's been really nice, and um, yeah, I mean, take care and have fun, and and we'll chat soon. All right. All right. Bye. Good talking to you. Thanks, Carl. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. Your support means everything. If you'd like to learn more about the Artist Alliance community, send me a question or learn about other events or projects coming up, please visit my website at www.gentuff.gallery. See you next time.